And again, I'm gonna be looking at this as mostly just to make sure the sound and the, the battery's not dead. That's all right, I'm gonna take it personally. Right. I am needy though, so. All right, record is on. One, two, three. Welcome back everybody. This is another episode of the 692nd Podcast. This is a third episode that I'm recording, but I don't know necessarily if this will be the third episode that's released based off scheduling and some of the other projects I'm working on. But with that said, joining me in the 392nd Heritage Room slash studio is Tech Sergeant John Freeman. If you don't know Sergeant uh, Freeman, he's a man of many talents, um, stand-up comedian, but I think he's best known for his hair. You have great hair. I have great hair. Great hair. I have, uh, there's a, a lot wrong with me genetically. <laughs> mostly on like the internals. Yeah. But man, externally, I got a lot of things going well. Now Prematurely you... gray. Uh, that's really it. Good jawline. The good jawline. I, I remember last week, it was just when we were talking over the phone. I was like, yeah, man, you know, I love your hair, like great hair. And you're like, yeah, I'm, but I'm, I look 10 years older than you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're always very kind to throw me a compliment about my hair. No. You're in the hallway and you're like, your hair's on point, homie. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. For anyone like listening, like, well, who cares about hair? When you're in your late 30s, like, <laughs> hair is important, man. You appreciate all you the guys in there. looking around your friends. Yeah. Their, their hair is leaving them, yeah. like, like like the dreams of youth. Yeah, the dreams of youth. <laughs> Just uh, dissipating. So all the guys in their 40s are like, yeah, man, like, you know. Why are you putting your hair? It's like it's like uh, you. Everybody just becomes uh, Uncle Jesse from Full House. Oh yeah. Where you could have conversations about hair. Yeah. Like what are you put in there? How, how do you get so thick? Yeah. <laughs> you get to hold, but then it's still soft. Yeah. Um. We're not here to talk about hair today, however. Not today. Not That's today. That's for your other podcast. That's for my other podcast. Yeah. Hair today, gone tomorrow. But I love the fact that, <laughs> good, um, you reached out to me. You know, I started the Six and I Second podcast, and, you know, one of the messages I put out was, it's not just for leadership to do, um, definitely a platform for, for leadership to utilize, but this podcast is intended for people within the Six and I Second. If they have something on their mind, this is a, a great venue, great avenue. You, I love the fact that you reached out to me, and I'm excited. I don't remember the last time we really talked, and then yeah, well, we know each other. And we, you know, we say hi to each other here and there, whatever. But you reached out to me, and said you have this idea, and you want to share it. So with yep. that, what's on your mind? Well, one of the things. So I've uh, been in for coming up on 14 years, and in within my career, one of the things that uh, I've consistently done, either as like my primary assignment or uh, sort of tangential parallel to my assignment has been uh, to work in a, in a training capacity. Yeah. And what I've seen as I've sort of moved through that is uh, is, is really, um, well, okay, I moved through that and saw that things weren't working well. They were too personality dependent. Um, it didn't seem like they were, there was a uh, an infrastructure uh, in place that would ensure the continued success of you know what we call training and it got me curious about why it it consistently has not sort of lived up to either the praises um that you know um the leadership this is the i'll break off on this uh, this is one of the things I'm concerned with is I don't want to, on the podcast to, for it to sound like I'm uh, dropping dimes <laughs> but I, I see a lot of value in uh, in being a contrarian and you know um, there's a, a hero of mine, Christopher Hitchens he has a, a book called Letters to a Young Contrarian and one of the things that he talked about in, talks about in that is, uh, sort of the, fa- the the fallacies that you'll come up against, the argumentation that you come up against is somebody that's trying to push the envelope or expand the idea. One of them is now is not the time. And, you know, his counter to that is, so what you're telling me is that um, we have to wait until the right time to make, uh, to make the decision for the thing that we feel right now needs to be done. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. You, you, there's never going to be the right time to uh, to change a paradigm or to revolutionize the way that we do things. So I don't um, I don't ever want to come across as being you know uh, flippant towards the way that the Air Force has done its training uh, for 
decades uh, leading up to this, nor to the progress that has been made through AETC uh, and at the uh, wing and group and squadron level. But I do think that there, uh, we fundamentally consistently have the wrong conversation. We, we have the incorrect vocabulary to discuss learning within the Air Force. Uh, I think the first thing that we do is we, we absolutely shoot ourselves in the foot by calling everything training. Yeah. Uh, Air Force Doctrine, uh, Leadership Volume 2, look at this guy, <laughs> yeah. remembering his stuff. Uh, it outlines in a nice little table exactly the difference between training and education. And that uh, it shouldn't have, but it sort of surprised me because yeah. I wasn't seeing that at the sort of tactical level. Um, so that got me thinking about, you know, from a if, if the policy is there, then what's being missed of the execution? Uh, and I know that... Uh, Oftentimes we have a uh, a tendency to blame the humans at the tail end of the system, and what I saw at the beginning of the system, the the vision, which was differentiating between training and education, and that was very clear. And then at the tail end of the system was people doing the best that they could, extremely well intentioned, um, wanting success, but still. You know, every time the the one person who was doing it really well left, it was hard to backfill that uh, expertise yeah. or that skill at being an instructor. And so I started to think, like, there's something in between that's going wrong. Um, so I ended up looking at uh, our policy as uh, an organization, Air Force Learning Policy, and some of this has since been rewritten, but I've looked at the newer policy, and it fundamentally is not, it's not drastically different. So I'm going to be referencing older uh, Air Force manuals and handbooks, but the Air Force manual uh, that builds, that builds uh, what we call instructional system development, um, that was an AFMAN, We can Google it. Yeah, I'd have to... Dang it. If I had all my papers and documents... I know. That's fine. It's just the uh, the Air Force Manual for ISD, Instructional System Development. It lays out, you know, the importance of uh, building this system so that we can... Or, or having the system in place as the framework so that it can analyze jobs and then scaffold knowledge around how do I teach someone to do this job. Okay, that's interesting because that, that the Air Force Manual it also talks about training and education. Not, not nearly as much education. It's not a 50-50, but you know both were included in there at least. Then I looked at the handbooks, and there were 11 volumes in the Air Force handbooks for you know anything from uh, building uh, training at the unit level to yeah. building tech schools. And what I started to see was a very, very little discussion about education. And then things were almost completely centered around training. And so what I did, since, you know, uh, at, at, my, at my core, the way I've been raised in the Air Force is to be an analyst, is I did content analysis. So I took the Air Force manual and the handbooks, and I identified words based off of, like, uh, there was, there's three different dictionaries that I went against. It was Oxford, uh, Webster, and then another one. <laughs> internet. It was the yeah, internet. Yeah, the internet. Yeah. And uh, I found words that were related to training and education. And uh, I think it ended up being like 77 words. And then I, uh, when I ran the content analysis, I enumerated each instance of those words. And the end result is I found... Um, a 15 to 1 ratio of training words to education words and then isolated the education words and that specific volume was talking about education as it's important to the officer core not really so much for the enlisted and the more I thought about it um, and then you know the experiences that we get going to PME working with the other AFSCs then also I've worked most of my career in a, jo in a joint environment yeah but sort of uh, what started to dawn on me is that 
that structure uh, does not build jobs for today's missions. It it may still, I mean, it, it must still build jobs correctly for many jobs within the Air Force. Um, but those jobs, the type of behavior that's expected of the airmen, are oftentimes, uh, they can be described uh, in a checklist. If a job uh, or a duty is, you know, OI driven, OI being a oper operations instruction, operational instruction? Operating instructions. Operating instructions. Yeah. Operations instructions? Something You're not else. certain either. No. All right. As long as we're both confused. Yeah. We, OI is an acronym that we've heard. Um, that sort of checklist way of doing a job, uh, you know, it doesn't apply everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think in some, in some career fields, you know, uh, they may be more OI driven, or you're going to be more OI driven, more checklist driven at the, you know, brand spanking new, smells like new car, airman. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, less so as you start to move up in rank. But that doesn't describe the way that, you know, my career has ever been. Um, I think within the intelligence community, you are uh, expected to, or at the very least what you encounter in operations, is that much of your job cannot be described by a checklist. Um, so then, that, that got me thinking again, okay. So fundamentally, the, the problem that we have here is we have policy uh, that is built for, it's built to satisfy the entire force, but that necessarily, or that ultimately means that it won't satisfy everything, you know. But blanket policy is, is necessary up until this point uh, because um, the, the bureaucracy of trying to keep an entire Air Force, uh, keeping all the jobs standardized, you know, you, you need to have a, the backbone. You can't just leave it up for people to figure out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I'm kind of a little all over the place with no, this. No, that's okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so the way that uh, what I started to think about was maybe there's a better way, um, the be a better vocabulary we can build. One, one of the first things was we have to, as I said at the beginning, stop calling everything training. I think we need to call everything learning. Uh, and then underneath learning, you have training and education. And then there's a better way to differentiate between these two. If we consider training as uh, being able to build behaviors that may be quantitatively assessed, meaning uh, it's a yes-no binary, you know, did you do it or didn't you do it? Um, if you, you're tasked to build a hole for, or, well, one does not build holes <laughs> generally, to dig a hole for a fence post. Uh, and that fence post needs to be 18 inches deep. You can teach almost anybody to do that. Uh, they, they have their shovel, they dig the hole, and then you can measure the success of it uh, with a standard you know, universal measuring device. Training, when, when I say quantitatively assess behavior, you know, training will build something that is, uh, the, the success and the outcome is replicable, it is predictable, um, it's very focused, Education, on the other hand, that's where you, if we consider that to be building behaviors that may be qualitatively assessed. So that would be um, uh, how well was this passage translated from Esperanto to French, right? Esperanto is a made-up language, in case anybody. So it was a hipster thing. Yeah. Go Wikipedia. It's hilarious. But uh what that would be required then would be a qualitative assessment. Another way to discuss these two things would be um, objective for the training outcome, and then you have subjective for the educational outcome. So it'd be like, you did a, a good job of capturing the speaker's intent. You didn't do a great job. You were maybe 80% there. And it's going to change based on the, uh, the background and the investment in the human doing the evaluation. But I think this is fundamentally, it start, I'm starting to move into an area that sort of butts up against the way um, the military is often thought about itself, uh, or at the very least, uh, maybe the, the mythology it's built around itself, and that, you know, all behaviors must be objectively assessed. Yeah. 
And the truth of the matter is, though, for the intelligence missions, the things that we're requiring people to do cannot be because you're working within the realm of probability. You are working um, where there's a dynamic ecosystem that's built between the technology you are deploying to do your job and then the adversaries uh, technology and you know realities and society and everything else. These are big amorphous problems. And oftentimes, especially if you have to, uh, if you're one of the hapless individuals that's tasked to do predictive analysis, well, God help you. <laughs> it's not going to work out well. And you certainly can't objectively stand back until time has passed. But, you know, that that wasn't the function of the, the thing anyway. It wasn't yeah. to see if you would be right. Yeah. It's to uh, enable the commander to have the um, decision advantage, right? So if you were to ask, uh, if, if we're asking an airman, uh, what would be, what's the, where's the so what? What's the important bit? What are the consequences of this adversary incorporating this type of rare technology into their um, uh, guided missile class destroyers? That's not a behavior that is built through training. That's where I think we're messing up. And if I haven't convinced you with uh, my long, breathy, uh, verbose uh, argumentation, I think I can sum it up pretty well with, with this. We kind of backpedal a little bit. If I go out to, to anybody else here on, on the base, on, yeah. on Hickam, and I go over to medical, I go over to CE, I go to the C Bernie kids, I just went and uh, sweated in a field for about four <laughs> hours today. It was very exciting. Um, I can go to a tech sergeant and uh, the person that they are operationally supervising down from staff to senior airman to airman and say, hey there, tech sergeant, can you do the job of everybody underneath you? And they'd be like, yes, of course I can. That's the way it works. CECs, CFETP, I'm the technical expert of everything that they're doing, which is why I'm operationally over them, right? It's a, it's a nice, neatly packaged uh, structure. Yeah. I have supervised, all the airmen I've supervised, majority of them, I can't do the job they do. <laughs> that is foundationally different. It's fundamentally different. It is intrinsically different than all most other jobs in, in the Air Force. And that what I'm not saying here is that the OI-driven job is somehow less complicated or requires, uh, you know, a... Less, less agile cognitive behaviors. Because if you are a, uh, a crew chief um, or you're a radar technician, whatever, and you're working on, you know, you're troubleshooting a problem, you're leaning on your previous experience and the things that you've done in the past, and you're correlating how does this relate to that. You, your mind is building analogy. It is synthesizing new ideas. But that's, you know, th that is what is gained by experience. And I'll ask you this, Senior Master Sergeant Foster, what is learning? Why do we, why do we need to be taught something? Um, basically just know how to do it and to, I, I look at learning as, um, for me, I, I define learning as just evolving. But the function of learning, the function of learning is because you don't have the experience of doing the thing yet. Correct. Yeah, like you have to start somewhere, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if learning is to build in, to make up for the lack of experience of the individual so that they may be competent in the thing that they're expected to do, for the, uh, the CE guy or somebody that's working on, you know, engine parts, if they've started at the wheel, at the wheels, you know, I take uh, tires off the car, I put them back on, I mess with the, uh, the flange, I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> That's good. Keep going. Yeah, the oscillator. The oscillator. And then they work the flex their capacitor. The, yeah. the flex capacitor. Yeah. Then they work their way up to the uh, uh, carburetor. Is that sure? Sure. All right. You know they in the in the next ten years there will be some things that change. You know between the 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 flex capacitor of 2020 <laughs> and the flex capacitor of 2030. Yeah. Right. But the basics, the fundamentals might not have changed or, it, or probably will not have changed too much unless, you know, they aren't working on an automobile anymore, right? It's, it, again, not the same for Intel. Um, 
even the the domains in which we are looking like you can you can get after the same uh, target by having uh, by being very good at databases uh, you can be an Excel spreadsheet wizard uh, you can get after the the same target answer the same question uh, by understanding economics really well uh, it's just by what avenue by which vector you are approaching you know this this problem so the question comes back to then how do we build this thing, right? How, what, what should learning look like for intelligence missions? I think um, what we need to do is, is uh, sort of reset. Reset with the proper vocabulary um, by saying, you know, learning and then training and education. And then, and then uh, work away away from there. Be before we do that, we have to clarify like what is an analyst, because all all intel intelligence analysts are fu fundamentally an analyst, and the behavior that they are going to need to uh, exercise is analysis, right? But we don't really even have a clear understanding of what is an analyst. Up, oh, I'm gonna hang on. I'm gonna back it up. Okay. I'm gonna back it up because there was something else that I was trying to drive at here. We're talking about analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We're talking about an analyst. Okay. This is, okay. Just throw this in wherever you want. <laughs> what we're doing right now, I'm worried that this is just going to be a hot mess. You're going to be like, you know what? It was a good discussion. None of it made sense. <laughs> no, no, this is fine. I need you to come back in and uh, have a clearer path or something. No. Okay. So um, what we're doing right now is, uh, let's say, we'll, we'll take the linguist, okay? Like, hey, they're a linguist. I uh, send you through DLI, okay? And you learned your uh, Esperanto <laughs> through DLI. And then you go to Goodfellow, and uh, you're trained on what I would call uh, relevance variable tasks, there's a chance that what you're being taught there, being trained on those systems, uh, will be the same systems or at least the same you know uh, combination of, of tasks to make a process that you will do in operations. But it's also very likely that it won't relate at all. Yeah. So go through DLI, learn your Esperanto. Go through uh, Goodfellow. I learned some some tasks. I go to the mission. The mission says. All right there, uh, uh, young linguist person. What I need you to do is I need you to analyze, uh, analyze this mechanized infantry. And uh, the, the airmen will say, oh, I don't know anything about mechanized infantry. And they say, up, 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 it's fine. You know Esperanto. <laughs> That's what we're doing to our airmen right now. And it doesn't, they could be an Elinter. They understand by definition what electronic signals are. Yeah. But then they they, uh, they kick out and they're like, hey, I need you to uh, analyze this uh, Navy. And they say, I don't know anything about the Navy. And they're like, it's fine. You know Elant. <laughs> Why can't you do the job, right? Because they're not being set up to do the job. That doesn't mean that we don't have airmen that aren't succeeding. Of course they are. Yeah. They're up there doing amazing things. My point that I'm driving at is that them being awesome and the things that they're doing was not built through the learning pipeline. It was not built by the mission. Uh, it's safe to say it almost wasn't built by the Air Force outside of the motivation you know the individual has to be good at their job. But they, it's, it's luck that you put the person in that spot and that they had whatever is inside them. The, uh, the I care factor, yeah. or I'm interested, or this is stimulating my intellectual curiosity. Yeah, that's what's driving it, but that's not replicable. Missions cannot survive by feeding analysts in that in that manner. It it does not reinforce continuity. It does not allow that person uh, to be anything more than a special island of expertise. And when that person leaves, that expertise, that island sinks back below the ocean. We are not building bridges to connect the islands together. 
you look like you're gonna say something. No, I was gonna say like, do you think culture has a uh, a big part of that? Because I I agree like it's not necessarily something that we're teaching people or 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 learning or training, however we want to put it. But maybe is it maybe none of those things are in place. But is there something like a certain culture that allows people to thrive in those situations? I think by default, what what happens is missions have to adapt to the reality with which they are faced, and. Uh, good leaders in a mission will uh, give people the uh, the latitude. They yeah. will allow them to have a, a wide enough aperture to get after the mission in sort of a different way. But that's not that's not what the pipeline has set them up to do. So, what what should we build? Right. I think that uh, we have to accept that the mission target ecosystem is too mercurial. It's too dynamic for us to um, capture all of the tools and software and suites um, and uh, specifics to feed all the way to a learning pipeline with the current sort of tech school setup in which as soon as those learning requirements are written, the, the relevance immediately starts to atrophy. Yeah. And there's no real control on how quickly the half-life of that those skills are, right? By the time they actually get built into the system, back at the, the tech school under AETC, they could basically be useless at that point. So I think that we would be much more benefited as a service, as 16th Air Force uh, and the intelligence missions, if we if we reset and recenter on what we need to build our analysts. Not we, we don't necessarily need to build e-linters. Like the language piece, obviously, you know, it's going to take a while to, to build that out. But um, and they, they need to understand what e-lint is. They need to understand what imagery is. Geospatial. Not it's not imminent anymore. Yeah. Geoint. That's how I know I've been kicking around a while. Back in my day, but batteries. Um, what? That's my go-to old person impression. That's good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's better than mine. It's because I worked at Radio Shack. and all these I did, too. Did you? Yeah. Did you have to, like, push batteries as a spiff? I did. A oh, spiff. I love the fact that you said spiff, spiff man. Spiff, man. Um, it was the worst. <laughs> uh, then, I mean, Radio Shack was going out of business for, like, 15 years. Yeah, like, I don't like, know how they kept going for so long. I, there's a, this one that I worked in that was in... It was, a, it was a town within a city, one of those weird things. Yeah. It was in Arlington, Texas, and there's a smaller town inside there, and it was mostly old folks. And you just had people, old folks coming in, just distressed, because they needed a battery for their hearing aid. And they just come in and be like, I need a, a battery. He's like, I can't read that. Can you read? And I'm like, are you from England? What's with your accent? <laughs> like, this is just the old person's accent. This is at a CR. The CR1. One, one. It's like, just get... Happy to help you out, ma'am. That was a man's voice. Oh, yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. My I have a my voice is in the feminine register. I've been told. Where was I? Uh, okay. Recentering. Yeah. On what the analyst is. So they they, they need to understand uh, electronic signals. They understand uh, geospatial information. Those are the um, the specialties of their their trade. But fundamentally, what they are going to be is they are going to be analysts. The next problem that we have is that we are having the wrong discussion about what is an analyst. What I would argue uh, is that an analyst is the sum of its parts, and those parts are researcher, advocate, and skeptic. And if we overlay those on a Venn diagram, the center of that's going to be an analyst. But when we have one of the things that 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 is bothered always bothers me when I'm in a mission is what I call our armchair discussions about what the mission should be, and that's how the mission was <laughs> ten years ago, twenty years ago, when the whoever's in charge was doing it, uh, what they wish it was, or what they think it is. And at no point am I saying what the mission is actually doing, because the armchair discussion. Uh, thrives in an environment in which there isn't active identification and you know sort of mapping 
diagramming. What is the mission doing right now? Those are the only discussions that missions should have until that's solved. So the same thing with learning. The only discussion we should be having right now is not how it used to be, how I wish it was. It's what is happening right now. So an analyst, what they're doing right now uh, is they are researching. If they're, and I would say that's the core role that an analyst has, is to be a good researcher. If you're a good researcher, you are a good analyst. The next is to be a skeptic. Skeptic is someone who does not accept the information that's being told them at face value. They require a higher level of evidence. I think that's a requirement prerequisite to be any one in, but yeah. especially for one in threes, I've noticed. Yes. Well, I think it's, you know, most of us would agree that that should be a quality yeah. that everyone Why? ought to have. Yeah. Yeah. Why? No, no, I'm saying like, that, yeah. that's, that's a question. It's like, yes. you're like, hey, here's but some question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But why? Yeah. I'll say that with uh, when I teach classes and there's a, uh, the other services that are in there, I'm like, this is this is why the Air Force is different, right? Is that I'll have an airman, and I'll be like, hey there, uh, airman, I need you to do this. What they'll say to me is they'll go, why? <laughs> right? And then I can sort of see, like, the, the, the body language of the Marines and the Army, you know, yeah. and, and like a Navy chief if they happen to be in there. And they're just like, oh, I can't believe they asked why. I'm like, no, 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 that's exactly what I want them to ask. Yeah. I owe them that. Yeah. All right. Now the second time, sure. <laughs> second time, I would expect them to do it, but you know, we we need people who think for themselves first, and then you know, and that also puts the the onus on you as a leader or as the uh, the supervisor. You have to build that buy-in immediately. Yeah. You know, and and that also that's the relationship in which you can have a discussion and make things better, so on and so forth. So what's the third thing? You talked about researcher, they need to, you yep. know, the, the, the skeptic. Uh, skeptic. And then an advocate. Okay. An advocate is someone who uh, can champion uh, an idea, a thought, somebody else's work. Um, they can also be, um, yeah, it's an advocate for themselves or an advocate for someone else's idea. And then in the overlap of these circles, you have, you know, between a skeptic and an advocate, that's where you have you know, the skill to be a good uh, devil's advocate, to be that red team thinker. Yeah. Between a researcher and a skeptic, that's where you have uh, uh, information literacy. That's where you have um, uh, the ability to um, continue to push and find Well, and that, okay. Uh, yeah, information literacy between the advocate and the, uh, the researcher. And then uh, the researcher and the skeptic is where you get critical thinking. Then you have these bridging skills. So between information literacy and critical thinking, that's when you really get into, you know, drilling down until you found a credible source. You're really getting evidence-based thinking going on as opposed to the heuristics uh, meaning intuition of uh, this seems like a good idea or it resonates with me. You know, like yeah. that's, those are those are great uh, words to use if uh, you're listening to music, which I love. I, yeah. I love music, but not the way in which we should be doing an, an intelligence job. So the analyst is, and uh, in breaking it down into those three roles, then as leadership or as a mission manager, you can better diagnose the weaknesses of a specific analyst. You can have discussions with them, or you can, you know, um, through their work, see, hey, where you're really missing out here is you're not skeptical enough about your own thought processes, right? Critical thinking is not just being, you know, being like, I don't believe it Yeah. for, for everything. That's just being uh, somebody that nobody wants to talk to, right? <laughs> Being a critical thinker is being critical of your own thought processes. And, uh, and critical thinking is actually an excellent topic to, to go back to how we in the past have, have uh, tried to build this behavior in our airmen incorrectly. Um, critical thinking was back when we had, where are we at now, CDPs? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the CDCs, the one in X CDCs, had the first chapter, I think, was on critical thinking. And it didn't teach anybody critical thinking. The reason why is because it tried to train to it. And it trained to it by just giving you the definition of things. What is a bias? What is critical thinking according to this? Yeah, yeah. 
that's not the application of knowledge, right? Critical thinking must be exercised in a variety of contexts. It's not just a, you know, a critical, uh, if you think about it in terms of the way in which one exercises their, their physical body, you can't just focus on doing push-ups over and over again. Like you're going to get strong in that one area, yeah. right? But you're not going to get a, uh, you're not shoring up the walls against the, the ravages of time, which you and I are facing every day. Yeah, yeah. Every day you get out of bed and you're like, what's that bruise for? <laughs> it's like, or why does my knee hurt? Oh, yeah. I, I walked on a canted sidewalk. <laughs> for, for 30 seconds it was just a tilted sidewalk no yeah and now my knee's ruined yeah for at least two weeks so you, you have to have a uh and, and there's there's many behaviors that are like this leadership is one of them leadership you must attempt to be a leader in a variety of contexts in order to get good at it you know there's that's a uh a skill set that is built through experience <laughs> And it's also built through uh, active self-diagnosis, like a m post morbid of case studies uh, that where things have gone wrong, where things have, have gone right. But you know, if we're being honest, nobody is uh, sitting in a team actively, not not standing to the side like it's a, a weird PME terrarium. <laughs> we're just watching humans, you know, full on reality TV. Uh, when you're in it, you're at no point do you pop your head up and go. Are we in the storming phase? <laughs> is that what's happening right now? Is this storming? It's like no. It's you know those those types of uh, uh, th th those terms and those frameworks are useful for it and after the fact, right? But you get better at being a leader just by going through the motions of it over and over again, challenging yourself, getting outside your comfort zone. Same thing goes for critical thinking. It's wrestling with and and really understanding, being, putting yourself into positions where you realize how poor of a thinker you are unless you try to get better at it. And the same thing with being an analyst. You have to uh, exercise that skill against a variety of contexts. And you might be saying to me, well, hey there, Sergeant Freeman, how on earth do I build this into a learning pipeline? One thing that's been very successful in universities uh, when it comes to things, uh, cognitive behaviors like critical thinking, information literacy, is a professor will have the students update an article in Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not, you know, a uh, empirical source of evidence for uh, specific topics, but it does have a um, a quality control mechanism. Yeah, it's the other people that are in there uh, saying like this is good evidence or requires citation, so on and so forth. That's an excellent conduit that we can allow our analysts to start to apply critical thinking, to apply analysis. Have them update a Wikipedia article in which they are interested. Once they get access to systems for the Intellipedia unclass or whatever uh, domain where Intellink sits, have them update an article on that, write an article on that. They'll start to get feedback and give each other feedback. There's ways that we can, we can do it right now that does not require a massive investment in you know building uh 16th air force's own aetc right yeah but i do think i do think that the only way to solve this if we're being honest with ourselves is that intelligence missions being 16th air force and and uh you know it could probably get lumped in with you know, the cyber guys and everybody else um we need our own learning policy that emphasizes and provides uh, leadership and instructors, uh, mission managers, and people in a learning facilitation role, provides them the correct vocabulary to, to have this discussion and to say, like, this, be, be able to analyze uh, an, a, a job in an intelligence mission and identify that, okay, um, that chat uh, software they're using, I can train to that. When they're not on the right server, I can train to that. Uh, when they need to open up Microsoft Excel and uh, build a pivot table, I can train to that. <laughs> when it comes to connecting the dots across these you know, seemingly disconnected concepts uh, that could mean this, and we feel pretty confident, you know, because 80% of the time that we've seen these two indicators, it has meant this will happen next. You don't train to that. 
That's something that you have to educate them towards. Because education is what gives you the cognitive, um, we'll say strength or uh, flexibility, agility, to answer problems you've yet to encounter, to solve problems you've yet to encounter. That is fundamentally uh, antithetical to the results that training can build. So if you had like a physical product, like what would that look like? So I think that uh, from the beginning, once they, uh, what? Well, so it wouldn't it wouldn't be from from the beginning because I, I think the current pipeline of, you know, as a linguist, I, I went through DLA. I don't think there's any other way than to start with yeah. that. And I think that, um, that, that are we doing King for a day? Sure, or a year, because if you're a king for a day, I don't think you know you don't have to make decisions, right? Yeah. But king for a year, like you have, or you know, king or queen, in charge for a year, like you have to make decisions, right? So, um, okay, outside of, of DLI and outside of uh, the like specialized, you know, uh, computer network operation schoolhouse stuff, and once they exit those, I think they need to go right into an education model that teaches them how to be an analyst and how to do analysis. And then when it comes to, and the reason why I say you have to start there is that education pays long-term benefits and it, uh, the quality or the, the impact of it, it becomes self-reinforcing. Yeah. So the complexity of learning starts off very wide, but as you drive towards a specific uh, goal, which is to be an analyst, their aperture for understanding what is their what is expected of them will start to shrink also. So the complexity of learning over time will start to narrow down. And as it narrows down and they learn how the, the fundamentals and they're exercising the behaviors within a classroom setting led by a qualified, you know, and the instructor is going to be a big part of this because we can't, we can't do this with, um, you know, just a yeah, the, the instructor will have to go through pretty rigorous, like, you know, the DIA, they separate uh, their um, instructor cadre into those that are qualified to train and those who are qualified to educate. I think we could do something similar to that. Um, but the, yes, the complexity of learning will start to narrow down. As they uh, move through this, what, you know, I, I would say probably a two-month process. Yeah. Then uh, they move into their sort of analytic specialty and that's where you can start to train a little bit more um, where you need them if they're an electronic signals analyst um, they're going to need to know you know the ins and outs of electronic signals and and the other thing is that I guarantee that their training will be that much more effective because they will have already learned how to be a good learner um, the, well, well, the type of cognitive behavior that Will be have been expected of them through that education process will be pretty high. You know they're going to be firing on all, on all cylinders. So when they get to the, the training piece and you just really need to know the definition of uh, definitions of things, you can actually at that point even start to thread back in the education piece by saying, okay, now that you've learned this, what happens next? How does this? You know what what would happen if I gave you this scenario? A good uh, example. To think about is uh, I was explaining to my daughter because uh, I was working on something on my computer and it was uh, I was doing uh, air to air combat had line drawings. Yeah. Uh, these two uh, two aircraft and let's say that like the one was at uh, they were twenty thousand feet the other one was eighteen thousand feet and uh, one of the uh, aircraft we'll say fighter two that was at eighteen uh, the line drawing that I was making had him cut. Uh, to the beam so that would be traveling perpendicular to the aircraft that's coming at him my daughter looked at that and she was like she was like why does that matter because i was spending a lot of time on that right and so i was like well i'll explain to you like what you know radar is you know so explain to her radar by the way she was she was seven at the time yeah <laughs> she's a really smart kid um and uh and i explained to her the doppler effect right the uh, doppler effect it incorporated into a radar can differentiate between that which is moving away from it, towards it, or neither. If it's neither, then it's going to be a part of the horizon. It's how the radar filters out um, the clutter in the background. So, 
you know, I explained that to her. I walked away from her. I was like, can you see me? And, you know, she, she was being the radar, and she was like, yes. And uh, I was like, okay. And I started walking towards her. I was like, can you see me? She's like, yes. I was like, okay. And I turned perpendicular to her. And I was like, now, can you see me? She's like, no. I was like, right. Why? And I hadn't taught her this. I, all I taught her was the uh, moving away and towards. And she said, because now you're not moving away from me or towards me, so I can't see you. And I was like, dang, my daughter just applied what she knew about the Doppler effect to understand this air-to-air combat maneuver in which you notch to hide from the, the, your, the uh, aircraft that's targeting you. Yeah. And that's, that's the piece of, like, you train, and then the education just kind of starts to kick in on its own. Because her cool little head, being at the age of seven, is just already, like, it's so much better. We have old, crusty hard drives at this point. You and yeah, I, yeah. We got floppy disks, my man. That's what, <laughs> yeah, we're at that's that what age. we have going on. Yeah, it was Commodore 64. We had the printers. They were like, and you had to tear off the sides. Yeah, yeah. That's what we got. My daughter's sitting there with just like this. Uh, she's quantum computing already. She gets it. Um, but yeah, that you know, the the same principle is going to take place uh, in airmen if we first educate them, and then they move into training. And then when they get to operations, and and the way that you would build the training aspect of it is to train to the most. When everybody's in the same spot and they have yet to go to their operations. You go for the most commonality that you possibly can. The way that we're going to do that is still not, you know, in the same way with education, we're not going to obsess about a specific adversary's capability because there is more universality. 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 Sure. There's more in common. More in common. Uh, then there isn't. So, um, Sometimes we obsess about like, oh yeah, uh, Russia's got you know these uh, the Tenchuk A10 Charlie. It's a semi-active radar missile. Oh, it's a it's a bad one because all these people are it comes with a flanker manual and all. Anybody that bought one of these things, they're going to be firing one of these, right? What we don't do is we don't say, hey, first off, what's a missile? Know that. Then understand guidance. Know the difference between passive and active detection. Because if you understand those things, the foundations of those things, then it doesn't matter against which target you are, your skills are leveraged. You already have the foundations there. And if you have to pick up the way in which, because you know the capabilities are driven by physics, physics have no political allegiance. So let's stop pretending that they do otherwise. Yeah. Because then all you're really worried about is, okay, how does military X employ this missile? I think what we're doing right now is we're putting people into a position where we say, how are they employing this missile? And then they say, I don't understand missiles. I don't understand area combat. And then somebody says, but you, you know Esperanto. Why aren't you doing a better job? Yep. Right? Yeah. So that learning pipeline first builds them to be an analyst then uh, trains to the most commonality, and then at operations is where you get into the, the finer points of specifically what are they going to use. Because the relevance, because of the atrophy that kicks in and learn, as soon as the learning requirement is written for something very specific to a mission, it's better to keep that loop as close as possible. So it would be at the unit level, at the group level, that you would stand those types of training sells uh, up or training flight. Yeah, they they would drive that. But the beauty of it is, those are all checklists. They're checklists. Those are really easy to build. That type of training is easy, easy to build because you're only worried about how do I use this suite, how do I use this software, right? Who should I talk to first as far as our operational chain? So, you have to front load with a big investment in, you know, first the instructor, but then in the individual. And that, by giving them the correct cognitive framework for them to move through the rest of their career. And I think over time, the cascading effect that we'll see is that 
the follow-on learning, the continuation training or, or continuation learning, or when they, they go off and they you know have the opportunity to do National Intelligence University or uh, other things that enlisted get to go to. AFIT, yeah. AFIT, that's one. Yeah. I've heard sometimes Naval postgraduate schools sometimes let some folks in. But, you know, um, they, they become good learners. Um, I've heard from, uh, you know, some, some leaders... Sorry, man, we are running short. Like, <laughs> yeah, we got to wrap this up. I've heard from, from some leaders, uh, whether enlisted uh, or on the officer side, that's like, oh, this younger generation. I think that's just a standard, like, old man thing. Yeah, yeah. You it's know, a, yeah, an it's old in person here. thing. But uh, what I see out of the younger generation is a, a almost insatiable appetite to do well, to learn. Yeah. But they don't have the infrastructure to be effective at that. And that's what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for giving them the instructor to really maximize the impact of the individual. Because the fight that we're going to be looking at in the future, our advantage is the quality of the individual. The quality of the individual will allow us to maintain the ability to, to still win in these very complicated uh, problems that's the rope against it. Dude, that's perfect. We need to end on that. Like, that's, like, that's good, man. Like, that, if you were doing your stand-up comedy set right now, like, that would have been... That was the... That was the, uh, the, 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 uh, the crowd was applauding. Um, applauding. Applauding. <laughs> clapping. Applauding. I'm not going to edit that part out either. <laughs> applauding. Like, verb agreement, man. Verb agreement, yeah. <laughs> when the audience is verb agreement. When the audience is verb agreement and they're applauding... For everyone listening, I just want to thank Texar and John Freeman just for uh, not only just taking the initiative, just reaching out to me, just uh, sharing. Like, he's very passionate about this, and he sent me a pretty <laughs> extensive email and lots of attachments and documents. And um, But I think that's great. I think that says a lot about you. And um, I, I just pre- again, I just appreciate um, – this is great, man. This is the whole platform. I appreciate you having me. I, like I said, I hope it all makes sense. Yeah, it, it sure will, man. <laughs> makes uh, a lot of sense in my yeah. head. I've written these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's a little different talking about it. All right, everyone. Uh, if you want to help support, just like and share the Facebook page, share the episode, listen, get feedback. And when you see uh, Texar and Framing around, uh, give me your thoughts. Give me your thoughts on his ideas. And um, let's help move this forward. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. That's good. <laughs>